this morning, I would have you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. As you're finding Luke chapter 5, verse number 1, if when you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word, the scripture reads this way. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But, this, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that Scripture reminds us time and time again that we, like Simon, are just... We're just people who, who have sin and have, have, have the, the everyday life upon us and that when we're in your presence, we notice it more and more greatly. And Lord, as a result, Lord, we bow before you this morning to say, Lord, we're not worthy to even be in your presence and yet you invite us in. We ask this morning that as we look to these scriptures that we'll be reminded, we'll be reminded for whom we should ask and for what we should do. We ask of this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I like to look at, at Luke chapter 5 a lot, and I actually want you to see this with me and, and let it become the benchmark of everything that we are hoping to accomplish with the work of the church. And you say, well, what do you mean? Ver verse number 1, how are we going to make this the benchmark of what we're trying to accomplish? Well, look with me at verse number 1. It says, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. And, and uh, such a strange place for me to break there, isn't it? Well, let me ask you this question. Can you remember a time when Jesus was in the midst of, of any place in the scriptures where he's teaching where a multitude isn't drawn to him? Can you remember any place in the Bible where Jesus stands to teach? You know, there is this one moment when he says that, you know, his reputation is, is hindered because he's a hometown guy. But without, without that exception, we, we find that almost never when Jesus stands to teach is there not some audience that is eager to hear from him. And, and so this is the thing that I want you to start with me just thinking about in every piece of ministry and every piece of mission work and every piece of, of, of anything that we're trying to accomplish at Crossroads is, is that we need to put Jesus out in front of us because Jesus never had trouble drawing a crowd. 
If you're, if you're worried about the crowd at church, then you need to be worried about where Jesus is in the picture. Are we promoting him or are we promoting ourselves? I mean, because we talk a lot about the ministries that are here, which are vital and important to our working. But if those ministries aren't about Jesus being at the forefront, then we're missing the mark. And that's why we're having trouble drawing the crowd. Jesus, if, if he's at the center of what we're doing, he'll draw the crowd. In this particular passage, when we look at the verse, you see how the crowd is pressing him. And they're everywhere. So much so that it causes him to do something that I think is outstanding. Read with me. I'll start again at verse number one. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, not just to see him or hear him, but to hear the word of God. The word of God ought to be central to everything we're doing. It ought to be central to our preaching, our worship. It ought to be central to every part of our ministry. We ought to be thinking of ways that we can incorporate scripture into every single part because that's what Jesus's model was. That should be our model. If you want to know how to do it right, follow what Jesus did. Now, if you follow Jesus too closely, they might do to you what they did to him. And he warned us about that too. But we're not going to worry about that, right? What we're going to do is we're going to follow Jesus as close as we can. And we're going to do exactly what he did. And as a result, we're going to see him work in our midst. But Jesus never, ever had trouble drawing a crowd, did he? And you want to know why? It's because the word of God is exactly what he was presenting. We see this, the next, the next line here says that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. There's this really peculiar picture, peculiar picture that you see here. Jesus is, is pressed up against this body of water and the crowd is all around him and he's trying to teach and he looks around and he assesses the situation and he sees the resources available to him and let me ask you a simple question this morning. Is there anything on planet Earth that doesn't ultimately belong to Jesus? There's nothing. So when Jesus sees boats, he thinks of those as his boats. And if you want to boil this down even further, when he thinks of the air that you're breathing that's keeping your life, he thinks of that as his too. You know, I liked what Vody Bauckham had to say about, about, about breathing. And he's like, breathing is stealing because you take a breath and you don't give it back. And last time I checked, when you borrow something and don't give it back, that's stealing. Man, God ought to strike us dead for taking his air, shouldn't he? Especially because of what we didn't do with it. He gave us all this life and the things that we run out and do that we think are important that aren't that are trivial by comparison to what we should be doing. I'm, I'm going to get on to a side sermon here. I better watch out. We see this moment here where he sees these two boats and they're, they're out there in this, in this body of water and he thinks of them as, as potential real estate by which to, to, to do his work. And so if you begin to boil this down, I want you to think about your stuff and think about all of your stuff, whatever stuff you have, whether it is run by a motor or, or a remote control or whether it is run by a keyboard and mouse or whether it's run by your thumb and it's the smartest phone you've ever had in your life or whether it's, it, it's, it's the, the tools in your garage or whether it's the, the beds in your house or, or whatever it is, I want you to think of this stuff and I want you to think, is this stuff available to God? Is this stuff available for him to use right now? Because I would suggest that we are a little selfish. And we're like, well, let me think about it. 
maybe they're, I could schedule it, right? I can just say that in a couple of days, I'll make sure it's okay for Jesus to use it. I I love this because the guys who own the boats aren't present. They're washing their nets and Jesus is looking out and he's like, I see two boats. These boats are my boats now. And then shouldn't it be that way? That if Jesus wanted to use your stuff, you say yes. No big deal, Jesus. Use whatever you want to use. For those of us who follow him, it shouldn't be a big deal at all. Well, it goes on to say, and I know that this is uncomfortable because we've worked hard for our stuff, haven't we? But like I said in worship just a minute ago, we give thanks because it's ultimately God who provides it. I mean, you couldn't have done the work without the air and the air you didn't make. We give thanks to God, amen? Verse number three. It says here, it says, he sees these two boats and the guys are gone and they're, they're washing their nets. Then he got into one of the, of the boats. And I want you to pay attention. How many boats were there? I'm giving you the hint right here, two. Some of you didn't see it because it was, I was blocking it, Two. There were two boats. That's actually foreshadowing when we're coming back to the second boat in a little while. But he gets into one of them. When he gets into one of them, which was Simon's, and it says here, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And so Jesus just sees the boats. He climbs into one. He looks back over at the shore, and he's like, this is your boat? Let's push away just a little bit here. Give me just a little space Maybe Jesus was practicing social distancing. I don't know. But he's on the boat. I love that he asks Simon Peter, though. I love that he asks him. You see, all of this stuff belongs to Jesus. And he could take it if he wanted to because of his his right and his sovereignty. I, I just believe in my heart of hearts that he would be doing none of us an injustice if he took something from us. But oftentimes he asks very kindly, for us to utilize our stuff and he invites us through the preaching of God's word, through the invitation to do things at church, by the, by the many different conversations you have throughout the course of your day and life, you are being invited all the time by God into a work. And he asks, he asks this really cool thing. Well, in the, in the process of this, between Jesus's seeing the boats and him asking Simon Peter, we, we need to note that Jesus will make use of all of your stuff he will, if you will let him, he will take all of your stuff, you know? I mean, if you're like me, and, and I'm facing this daunting task of, of going back to Texas this week and loading all of my stuff, and sometimes I'm like, why did we buy so much stuff? And right about now, I'm like, can we just leave some of this stuff? I'm pretty sure the person that's buying my house would be like, no, thank you, I don't want your stuff. They have their own stuff, and they want to fill that house with their own stuff, and it'll be too much stuff for them, too. And before you know it, they'll fill the garage, and then when they fill the garage, they'll fill the attic, and when they fill the attic, they'll fill the storage unit. Maybe we need a little less stuff. Like I said, side sermons are, are just, they're just tempting me this morning. I'm going to have to be careful. But we see this picture of Jesus making use of all of your stuff. If you will just lay it out there before him and say, this is your stuff. I'll never forget Hebrew professor when I was in college, he talked about this really cool moment that he had with these missionaries that, that were, were staying with him and his family. And, and they had just, professor had just bought a new van. You know, for those family 
people in the room, you understand a minivan was like the station wagon that was not embarrassing anymore. And I was a minivan dad for a long time. But he bought a van. He was like, man, he was so excited about this van. And he had the old van still. It was paid for. He had the new van that he needed to pay for, but they were both his. And he's talking to this missionary, and he's feeling led by God to give this missionary the old van. But in the conversation, the missionary completely misunderstands him and thinks that he's going to give him the new van. And because Professor was a man of God, he said, that one hurt, but I gave the new van to him. And I just, man, I was like, I was humbled in that class today to think, man, this is a guy who I know the professors in Baptist universities, they make about what school teachers make. And I was like, man, what a gift. But when you think of your stuff as his stuff, giving might hurt a little bit. But obedience is something that is far superior. And you're just like, wow, the models that we have been set are hard to reach up to. Simon has, has been asked by Jesus to take his entire vessel of livelihood out into the water so that Jesus can teach. This was a pretty important ask. Well, we see it, don't we? So they put out a little from the land. And he says that he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Can you imagine being so popular that there's like so many people that are pressed up against the space that you're like, hey, wait, 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 we need to back up and we need to find a way to get back from them so that we can address them all. Jesus, you know, I just circle back to point one. He never had trouble drawing a crowd. But if we allowed him to use our space, we might be shocked at what he might do. Verse four says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now this is ask. This is a command. Jesus has just looked at Simon after he's taught the group and he's like, all right, the lesson's over. Let's go out in the water. And he goes, and by the way, lower your nets. You see, that, that initial ask when you begin to say yes to Jesus about stuff, you don't know always where you're headed with it but realize that it may begin to, to, to invite you into something that you were completely unexpecting of and completely unknowing of what it would be. If you're not a little uncomfortable with verse number four, it's because you haven't experienced God in a way that God might ask of you something that's bigger than yourself. But when you really begin to follow Jesus, you begin to realize that sometimes we're a little nervous about saying yes to God. Because God might ask us to do the thing that we don't feel comfortable doing. Man, it got quiet. Verse number five. And immediately, human nature takes hold. And the rejection and the, the, the explanation of why it can't be done. You know, as a pastor, the number of times that I've been told why something won't work, it is absolutely stunning. I just expect when I come to work that we will introduce new ideas and give people vision for things and they will come to me and they will immediately say, well, we tried that. I'm always like, I really like Star Wars and Yoda's like, don't try, do. And that's not how he says it, but I don't want to confuse you. Do or do not, there is no try. Oftentimes, Jesus invites us to do something that we've already failed at. Do you hear what I just said? 
How many of you like to fail? I didn't see any hands. People were like, yeah, take me straight to, 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 the, to the lost column. Take me straight to the fail. Take me straight to the zero. Take me straight. Take me straight to the end of the road, bad, bad outcomes. Nobody in here is thinking, man, I hope I lose. Everybody's thinking to themselves, man, I hope, I hope that whatever I do, I hope it's wildly successful, and I hope it gets easier over time, and I hope that it doesn't cost me anything, and I hope that we become, you know, wealthy beyond measure. And that's what most people are thinking about in Western American culture. Simon hits with the, with the immediate response. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, when I read the scriptures, oftentimes it's easy to sand it down. But these are two grown men talking to each other. And one guy is telling another guy what to do, which sometimes doesn't get a great response from grown men, does it? And when two men begin to talk and they disagree about something, usually the response doesn't sound so easy as the way I read it the first time. It sounds a whole lot like, you know what? We've been doing that. We've been doing that, Jesus, and it's not working. That's what I heard when I read it. Because that's how men talk to each other. Men will look right at each other and they will just tell each other why it's not going to work. I have lived my whole life with men telling me how it's not going to work. And by the grace of God, we just follow him and things work. They just do. But I'm going to show you the key reason why they work. Not just because we keep trying to do it over and over badly. Simon's willingness to consent here is something that I pray for and wish for every single person at our church. He says, nevertheless, at your word, and not Brother Ben's word, but at our Savior's word, he says, I will let down the net. Just a little bit of willingness, just a little bit of willingness will take us a long way. When we say, hey, we tried it, but it didn't work, but Jesus is telling us to try it again, so I will just try it again. Nevertheless, I'll do it again. This time for the first time. This time under the authority of the Almighty. Not under the authority of myself. Some things sound like great ideals, don't they? Then we try them and we're like, that was a failure. And then somebody will look up and say, did we pray before we started? I had a guy one time, we were working on some electrical in an old part of a building where two buildings had been wedded together and we were doing something and he said to me, he said to me, you know, Brother Ben, I don't think your prayer is working. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we're having a hard time with this today. And I said, you're right, we are having a hard time with this today. He go, and I just looked right at him and I said, I don't think it's our prayers, brother. I think it's our technique. You can be doing it wrong. And it sounds to me like Simon and his crew who had known how to fish and in their whole livelihood had been working hard but having no result. But his willingness to consent, to follow Jesus' instruction are the thing that make the next piece necessary and possible. Verse 6 says, And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. What has occurred in this passage? What has taken place? If you just were to back up and say, what's the big picture here? you got a you got a group of people that are pressing up against Jesus. Jesus steps out into a boat. He teaches a lesson. He tells the man who owns the boat, hey, let's go fish. And when they go out to fish, he says, drop your nets. And when they drop their nets, all of a sudden there's more fish than he knows what to do with. This man is a 
bona fide fisherman by trade. He is good at this, or he would be unemployed. And there's this moment, there's this moment where what what you need to know about your daily life needs to take hold in this passage right here. Oftentimes we are asking God for the outcome that we desire. We get on our knees and we cry out to God and we say, God, make my work situation better. God, make my income better. God, make my health better. And we ask God all the time for all these things. And what we want so badly is for God to treat us like we're the center of the story. You see, Simon and his, and his friends that we're about to talk a lot more about, they were blessed, not because they asked Jesus for more fish. They didn't ask Jesus for any fish. But that is all we ask him for. What did they ask Jesus for? They didn't ask him for anything. Instead, they just rejected the idea that this was going to work at all. But you know what they gave Jesus instead of their ask? They gave him their obedience. And so I'm going to ask you to stop asking God for some things and start asking God for how you can follow him a little bit better, how you can hear his instruction just a little more clearer, how you can execute even the painful sacrifices that he might be inviting you to do. And that, that when that happens, man, the other stuff takes care of itself, doesn't it? You know, there are people in this room that have been asking for some things. I, I want, if, if you're willing, I'm going to turn to a passage in the Old Testament and I'm going to read it to you. Second Chronicles, and it's a famous passage and most of us know it. Some of us know it by heart. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what I hear when I hear people pray? And there's nothing wrong with you praying this way. But there's a better way. I think people in Oklahoma got to stop praying for rain and start praying for the sins in their life to be completely forgiven and repent of these things and turn towards God and seek his face. And then that healing comes. We are trying to step over the part of obedience and we're trying to ask for the fish. We want the rain so badly to fill our creeks and our streams and our ponds, and we're begging God for it. But instead, what he would rather hear us pray is, dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Dear God, forgive us of the wickedness in our land. I think that our nation is filled up with sin in every corner and every place we look, and I think that we keep asking God for the fish. And what he wants is our obedience. The fish come when we give God what God wants, which is our obedience. In spite of our failure, in spite of our lack. But we see it right here when we look to the scripture, don't we? We see it. So I told you there was foreshadowing, didn't I? I mean, if you want to know, ultimately, the really cool thing that we narrow it down is that if the thing we lack that we want, that we want Jesus to give us, well, Jesus knows. He knows where the fish, he knows where to find them. He knows where to find the fish. He always knows when and where. That is the key point that I hope that you will embrace, that if you want to get close to Jesus, he'll take care of the when and the where. He knows when and where the rain is. The forecast said it, right? We're all hopeful. This morning there were some some sprinkles on my car. I was like, oh, man, God nourished this land, right? And I thought, man, 
God, help me follow you. God, help me be close to you. God, let me seek your face. God, give me a will to do what is right and to turn from the wickedness in my life, and then I'll let you take care of everything else. Let it be my chief responsibility to follow after you and to be obedient to you in spite of my failures. Wouldn't that be something? Jesus, he, he knowing where all the fish are, when and where the fish are, they got this multitude of fish. Verse 7 says, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat. How many boats were there? I held up my fingers. I'm showing it to both sides. I know I'm blocking the view again. Maybe I should start it on this side this time. Foreshadowing. There were two boats. There are no accidental statements in Scripture. If it said there were two boats, there's a reason why there's a second boat. And here's the reason. He called his partners and he's like, come on out here, we need help. Wouldn't that be something? If we got obedient to God and all of a sudden there'd be a blessing so big that all of a sudden we'd have to worry about getting some more volunteers to help. That sounds like repetition, Brother Ben. But you know how we learn? Through repetition. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, through repetition. That's how we learn. If we followed and were obedient to God and all of a sudden we put him at the center of every story and he didn't have trouble drawing a crowd, we just gave him our yes and we let him have our stuff and we got to this place, we might need to beg in and ask for others. You know, part of the reason we cooperate with other churches, other Baptist churches, other like-minded churches, the reason we give to state mission offering and the reason we support you know, our association and the cooperative stuff we do, because we can accomplish more as, as churches that work together. Wouldn't it be something if we had such a, a blessing from God that we needed to lean over and say, hey man, you got any room in your church? We got more people than we know what to do with. But that's not how we function, is it? We function by saying, we need to get a bigger boat. If you can't say amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of you are like, that's too deep for me, Brother Ben. That's all right. We'll circle back later. Not today. We begin to see this picture here, right? It says, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I love the scriptures. The scriptures filled with what I would describe as bookends. That's the way that one of my professors described it and I just held on to it. This looks very reminiscent of a later passage you'll see with Simon Peter and Jesus when, when Simon Peter's like, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. This theme in him is, is a constant reminder. Simon Peter, he feels a lot like you feel and like I feel. You know, like we're not quite good enough. Like we certainly couldn't do that thing that we've been invited to do because we don't measure up or we don't have the skills and the talents. Here Jesus is, he's dealing with a guy that doesn't think he belongs. I love that the scripture just is this, there's a silence about it. Because you and I, we can't possibly handle the blessing that God can pour out. And we oftentimes feel like we are completely incapable of doing the thing. That we will just throw our hands up and say, well, maybe somebody else. Maybe somebody else. But Jesus doesn't even respond to Simon in this manner. I mean, he really he just kind of, he does this frequently where he just steps over it. Verse 9 says, For he and all who were with him were astonished 
at the catch of fish which they had taken. When was the last time you were genuinely astonished at something that God was doing? You ought to be when you read the scriptures. The problem I would suggest is, is that when we read the Bible, oftentimes there's a disconnect between what we read and hear and what we see in everyday life because we stopped expecting great big things from God and as a result, we don't see them happening. You know, the word astonished is actually a very interesting word because oftentimes when it appears in scripture, uh, there's this sense of awe. And this astonishment is really portraying the picture of the reveal of a magician. You know, have you ever been in a magic show? I, I'm not going to do a magic trick. I wouldn't be any good at it. I have a good friend who's a great magician, but I'm not him. But the part where he does the reveal at the end and everybody's like, how did he do that? And you're like, your head hurts because you're trying to think about how it happened. How did that occur? Astonishment. Amazement. This wow moment. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus, said to Simon. He gets right to the heart of his insecurity. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God knows that you're a little insecure. Some of you are so insecure you can't even say that to your neighbor. You know, the one thing that I have noted in all my study of humankind is every single one of us has insecurities and every single one of us is trying to, trying to shelter ourselves from our insecurities so that nobody else knows them or sees them. But Jesus just, he just plunges right, he cuts true right into the middle of Simon's life and he says these words which are repeated numerous times in scripture because we all have this sensation of insecurity. He says, do not be afraid. Do you don't believe me? Do a word study. Look up that phrase in your Bible. You will find it repeated. And when Jesus says it, it's really great because he's cutting right to the heart and he's looking at people and he says, this great burly fisherman that is just drugging a net of fish that is so great that he's gonna sink his own boat and his partner's boat. And he's like, don't be afraid. I know you're a little scared. Maybe a lot. And then he says this, from now on, you will catch men. And what a strange statement. You'll become fishers of men. And he's like, what? How did Jesus just take us from one profession to another? But I love the response in Scripture. And, and there's more to unpack here, but, but our time is running lean now. It says, so when they had brought their boat to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it's like, wow. You ever read the passage in the scripture that says you have not because you ask not? Right? I'm gonna ask you this morning that when you start to ask God for something, replace the word rain or whatever that you put there on the regular basis. When, when you ask for things, specific things, which is great, start your prayers not with what you want but what you need, and what you need is to follow him a little closer with more obedience. You have not because you ask not. Ask for obedience. Ask for faithfulness. Ask for intense 
seeking of God, that your life might be so overwhelmed with him that all the rest of it will take care of itself. There, there is a picture here for us. And you're saying to yourself, Brother Ben, I just don't know. And I'm going to repeat what Jesus said. Jesus told us to not be afraid to ask for this. And you might be shocked at what comes next. You see, we want to step over the seeking his face and the repenting from the wickedness and all the other things, and we just want to go straight to the healing of the land. Jesus had to step over the, the edge of the water and into the boat to lead him out to show them that if they would just be obedient to him, that the blessing would be unmeasurable. We need a little more Jesus and a little less of what we think we need. We need to stop asking him for stuff and start asking him for more of him.